It was uh, several years ago, almost 20, believe it or not, um, my family, uh, I can't believe it anyway, my family took a trip to Arizona, and uh, part of that trip we got to go to uh, the Grand Canyon, and so I think I have a picture up here, and my, at that point my family was uh, pretty young, and, and two of our older kids were born, our oldest Lydia was about two and a half, and our, our first son was just a little over a half year old. And just to give a little backstory to this uh, this trip, the day before we we went to the Grand Canyon in this particular picture, actually, the day before we'd actually gone to a zoo. And the reason we'd gone to a zoo is because uh, my daughter was just so into animals, and she loved looking at books, even at a young age, and and pursuing all that stuff. And so we go to this zoo, and we had a, a fantastic time. And uh, we get get to at the end of that day, and I said, you know, tomorrow we get to go to the Grand Canyon. We're going to go see the Grand Canyon. And so she started making these connections, and she was all excited. We get to see the Grand Canyon. And so here we pull into the park, and I don't know if you've been to the Grand Canyon or not, but where we pulled into, there was a sort of rise. You couldn't really see the canyon, but you pulled in, and as you got to the top of this rise, you're on the rim of the canyon, and it was like, bang, just right there. It was an amazing view. And I was like, wow, because I had never been there myself. And so we pull into a parking lot, and uh, we get out, and we're kind of looking around, and my wife and I were just taking in this amazing view. It was a gorgeous day. And um, there is Lydia, my little two-and-a-half-year-old. She's like crawling around and looking under things and going, Grand Canyon, Grand Canyon. And then she looked at me, I don't think Grand Canyon's here anymore. <laughs> it was just the cutest thing. And so I picked her up and said, no, Lydia, no, it's, it's all of this. And she was like, oh, you know, it's like she had gotten into thinking that it was just this little thing. And uh, no, it was, it was this big, huge thing. And so here we are, we're in the midst of this series called Idle Eyes. And as I was thinking about and preparing this message, I got to thinking, you know, the temptation is for us to think, idolatry, 21st century, you know, we're talking about idolatry, you know, you know, I cleaned out my shrines a few decades ago. Is this really all that big a deal? And yet, I'm convinced that it is. In fact, idolatry in the Bible is this persistent theme. And I think oftentimes we moderns can misunderstand the Bible's obsession with it and maybe underestimate its impact on our own spiritual lives. It's like, oh, it's that. It's this big deal. In fact, it's such a prominent theme in Scripture that some scholars have said that it is the central theme in all of the Bible. And when it comes to idolatry, we human beings are endlessly creative As John Calvin has said, the heart of man is a perpetual factory of idols. Given the chance, we'll replace God with almost any and every object, person, ideal, or dream. Given the chance, we'll replace God with any and every object, person, ideal, or dream. So, what is an idol? 
Here's the definition that we've been working with over these last few weeks. It comes from Timothy Keller, and I think it's an important thing to think about. An idol is anything more important to you than God, anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, anything you seek to give you what only God can give. Let me just read that again. It is anything more important to you than God, anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, anything you seek to give you what only God can give. So I think one of the hopes that we have as we travel through this series called Idolize is to help you think about this, to help you discern, maybe to help self-reflect and say, oh, what is it that captures my imagination? How am I spending my time? How am I spending my money or my resources? Am I doing things or am I seeking things that really only God can give me? And my hope for you is that as a pastor, I know that sometimes we get in this this habit, at least we Christian pastors have been known to do, we get up and say, stop, 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 stop. I don't want to do that. That's not my goal. In fact, I've got got a, a son now who's learning how to drive. You know, and the temptation is to say, stop! (laughs) Right? All of you parents are going, yeah. I wish I had that driver's ed break, you know. But my son can never learn how to drive if I'm always telling him to stop. He needs to push the gas pedal and go and pursue. So what I'm here to say today is this. I believe the Christian life is about pursuit. But it's about pursuing the right thing. It's about stepping on the gas pedal towards the right thing. And so often we have this capacity to put wrong things in the place of God. And so this whole deal of idolatry is a huge deal. And it's something that we need to wrestle with in our spiritual lives. So let me just say a little word about surface idols versus deep idols. And let me unpack that idea, because that's something you may have heard already in this series. Well, Martin Luther, remember that that guy, that great reformer? He believed this, that every violation of the Ten Commandments was first a violation of the First Commandment, which is, you shall have no other gods before me. We have this capacity of putting another God besides him in our lives. So he said, in effect, if I lie or give false testimony, it is because I have set something else in my heart above God. So if I'm lying, maybe it's because I want to be seen, I want to manage my own image, I I want to be seen in a particular light in front of you. Or maybe if I'm lying, I'd just rather go that route because it's easier. It's a path of least resistance. Rather than speaking the truth in love, I'm going to lie. Or maybe, you know, whatever reason. Or if I steal, if I take that object, it's because first I've set something else up in my life that is cherished above God and the belief that He can possibly provide for me. So Martin Luther had this idea, this concept, 
that basically every, under every behavioral sin, or this rebellion against God, is the sin of idolatry. So, in many ways, there's about a million different ways we can sort of rebel against God and replace God with things. And I probably mastered about 100,000 of them. But I think what we're trying to do in this, these few weeks together, as we think about this concept, is this. is to help you examine and say, what are some of the deeper things going on? Maybe in you or through you. Is it control? Is it significance? Is it greed? Well, today I want to look at one of those deeper idols, and the the idol is comfort. This idol of comfort or pursuing things. Let me just give this a definition real quick, and then we'll jump in. Here's how I'm defining this idol of comfort. It is the lie that somehow I can feel better about my life or myself if I pursue pleasure that may mask or provide escape from my stress or my anxiety or take me away from my responsibilities for a time. Let me just say that again. It is the lie that somehow I can feel better about my life or myself if I pursue pleasure that may mask or hide or give me an escape from my stress or anxiety or even my responsibilities. It's this idol. What's going on that I would want to pursue these things? So let's take a look at uh, a, a biblical case study this morning. I want us to look at, at the person of Solomon. Solomon is a king of Israel, right? And he has access to immense power as the king of Israel. And he was also not only powerful, he was very, very rich. Probably one of the richest men to ever live, even in today's terms. Incredibly powerful. He also had access to everything and everyone he wanted. He had a a harem of of a thousand wives, we're told in Scripture. And so Ecclesiastes, the book, whether or not it's written by him, we don't know, but it certainly is a commentary on Solomon's life and what he had to say or what the writer had to say, the teacher had to say about his life. And so I want to read a few verses from chapter 2. If you've got a Bible, you can follow along. You can follow along here. This is what he says in chapter 2, verse 1. I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is madness. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine, embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. And then he goes on to say some things like this. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself. I planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs. And so he goes on and on and on. And then in verse 10, this is what he says. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. In other words, I got what I wanted, 
And I denied myself nothing. So imagine going into your favorite store and saying, you know what, I want that, 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 and that. And he got it. And he took it all. He denied himself nothing. Amazing. And yet, at the end of it, this is what he had to say. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, this is verse 11, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. You see, he came to believe and understand something. That all of these things were a promise that over-promised and under-delivered. They over-promised and under-delivered. Think about that. That's our, t- our television commercials almost constantly, isn't it? They, they over-promise and under-deliver. I don't know how many of you have you know, watched Matthew McConaughey. Now, he's a cool guy, right? And somehow I'm convinced if I had a Lincoln... You know, I could be a cool guy too. There's something about that that draws us in. And Solomon says, you know, I denied myself nothing. Whoops. I denied myself nothing. I brought it all in. I gave in to it. Wine, drugs. In our context, it could be TV, video games, sex, Pornography, things, food, maybe vacations, living for the weekend. And it usually starts with a couple of sort of phrases. I need or I deserve. I need or I deserve. Hey, I'm the king. I deserve to have that. I need that. I need. I deserve. I don't know if you've been paying attention to the news, but when I was preparing this message, the person in the news, at least in the news that I watch, because I'm a sports fan, was the news about Lamar Odom. Some of you know that name. He's an NBA star. He's now retired. It's interesting what he was making the news for. And here's a guy with all the money in the world, all the time in the world, and everything before him. And yet what he made the news for was being almost found dead in a brothel. In Nevada. What's up with that? He denied himself nothing. He gave himself into that. He believed, for whatever reason, that that could give him something that he needed more than God. That's the idol of comfort. That's idolatry. So what's going on for him? Maybe what's going on for us? Why is it now that I need, can't just have one drink, it's eight. I can't just play a game for one hour, it's 18 hours. What's going on? Well, I want us to look and ask this question. If we've got this going on in us, 
What does the Bible say about how we can experience freedom or joy or move towards health and healing and overcome this idol in our life? Let me suggest just three simple things. The first one is we need to admit our struggle. Again, if you've got a Bible, I'd I'd invite you to turn to Psalm 32. Let me just give a little context to that. Psalm 32 is actually written by another king of Israel. His name is David. He's the father of Solomon. In the context in which this was written, there was a story in which David knew that, that the enemies were attacking Israel. And rather than going and doing his responsibility as king to lead his troops into battle, what he decided was, you know, I'm the king. I really deserve a break today. So I'm going to stay back. I'm going to stay back in the palace. And rather than doing his God-ordained responsibility, he decided that he would stay back and, you know, take care of the home front. In the midst of taking care of the home front, someone caught his eye. And her name was Bathsheba. And I don't know what was going on in his mind with her, but maybe it was like, wow, she's beautiful. You know, I am the king. Lots of kings have lots of wives. Maybe she understands me better. Maybe she'll listen. Whatever it is. And so he gives himself over to this temptation, believing that Bathsheba and this relationship can give him joy and pleasure until he's finally confronted. Well, this is what the first few verses of Psalm 32 say. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not account against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away, though my groaning through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. And then verse 5, it says this, Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. You know, one of the unique roles that I have as a pastor is oftentimes meeting with people, and sometimes they are in great despair. And they come into my office and they have confessed to me things that they've never said to anyone else. You know what the first thing I say to them is this, Thank you. Thank you for having the courage to come in here and to say that. Because I'm convinced the road to healing, the road to being free from this sin, from this thing that's kind of gotten you tangled up, is first saying, I need help. Oh, to be a part of a church that says, It's okay. It's okay if you're struggling. It's okay if you're willing to come and say, 
I need help, we say thank you for coming. Oh, to be a part of a body of Christ that would do that for each other. You want to be free? The first step is doing what David did and said, laying it out, admitting, I need help. Admit the struggle. Here's the second thing I would say. Identify the lie. It's interesting in in Ecclesiastes 2, what we read earlier, having not denied himself anything, he finally came to himself and said, you know what, it's meaningless. In fact, the whole point of the book of Ecclesiastes is this. You know, life is meaningless, really, apart from God. That at the end of the day, Solomon pursued every avenue. Money, power, sex, everything. And he said, you know what? It's meaningless. Life apart from God. Why? Because these things tend to overpromise and underdeliver. You know that new Lincoln? That new car smell? Let me tell you what, with four kids and a couple drive-ups to the, to the windows, it's out the door. You know, about a week and a, well, not this last week, but the week before, my wife and I got the privilege of uh, going away for a few days. It's a trip that I'd planned several months ago. And, you know, the reality is, as a couple, we were thinking about this. We had not been away just the two of us like this, I can't, I can't remember. Now the danger in all of that, because we went to a really nice place. We went to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. We ended up at a resort. And I tell you what, walking into the condo, I'm like, wow, this is really nice. This is awesome. I got, I got pools, I got sauna, I got tennis courts, I got a golf course. I've got this really nice place. You know, I could, I could really quickly turn that in, you know, I deserve this. I mean, we, we've not taken a trip like this. We've missed the 2025. 20, you know, we didn't go on any kind of trip when we had those anniversary moments. No. Here's the thing. We need to discern, right? Do I really deserve this or can I receive it as a gift? See, because all of life, really, I'm convinced God gives us all these wonderful gifts But am I elevating them to a place where they don't belong? You know, by the end of the week, you start realizing, oh, there's some flaws. Oh, that's really kind of gross, you know, in my, in our condo or this isn't all that it's wrapped up to be. I kind of miss my own bed and my kids. So identify the lie. What's being sold that really isn't true? And here's the last thing I would say. If we admit the struggle, identify the lie, I think we need to replace the lie with the truth. Let me just read a couple of scriptures. Romans 12, verse 2. It says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world. In other words, don't allow the world to determine what is good and right and true. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Let me turn to Colossians chapter 3. I want to read a few verses. I've got got them up here. 
It says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. You hear that? My life is now hidden with Christ in God. In other words, as a Christ follower, my life is no longer my own. I belong to the one who's redeemed me and saved me. I belong to him. So let me just lay out Paul's thinking in the book of Colossians just for a second. In chapter 2, verse 6, he says this, So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him. So, do you hear what he says? He said, when you cross the line of faith, and you say yes to Jesus, you know what you're really doing? By faith, you are trusting His Lordship, His Kingship in your life. He is Lord. In other words, He's in control of you. You're saying yes to His leadership. Then Paul goes on in verse 20 in that same chapter, Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do you hear that? So not only do we say yes to his leadership, Paul is saying, when we come to him, we are in effect saying, I die to myself. I'm dying to my own desires. I'm seeking to live by his desires. And then in chapter 3, this is sort of the culmination. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your minds or your hearts on things above and set your minds on things above. Do you hear that? I die to myself, but somehow in Christ I've been raised to new life. That's exactly what the Bible says. When we come to faith in Jesus, we've been born again. We are new creatures, new creation. Therefore, don't let all of this stuff get in the way of your relationship with God. Worship Him. Love Him. Replace the lie with the truth by remembering your identity is in Jesus. You are His beloved son and daughter, the one to whom you belong. And He died for you. And He deeply loves you. So that... We can worship Him. We can trust Him. We can set our hearts and minds on the things of Christ. One of the things that I'm convinced that we have to do as Christians, we have to learn to discern, don't we? What's good? And what's a gift? And what is sort of beginning to take a place that only God was designed to have. Is it that football game this afternoon? Is it that video game? What is it? I think God wants us to enjoy life, but not worship life. Let me close with just this one verse out of Jonah. Chapter 2, verse 8, as as an encouragement to you that we would run to Jesus 
and continue to lift Him high and make Him the center of our life. This verse in in Jonah says this, Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Those who cling to those meaningless things forfeit the grace that God wants to give you. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you for uh, your goodness expressed to us in Christ. Lord, I'm convinced that so often our placement of things above you is just misplaced worship. Lord, I pray that we would worship you in spirit and in truth, that we would worship you with our whole heart, our mind, our soul, our strength, that we would give ourselves to you, that we would trust you completely, and we would run to you. Thank you so much for giving us so many good gifts in our lives. Thank you for friendship, for family, for our homes, for trips, for all of those things. Help us to keep it in place, in the place that it belongs. pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.